Hey, it's Daryl. As we get started, I wanted to let you know about a new course that I just released last month, and it is called Helping Others Grow. And if you are interested, uh, I want to give you a special coupon for podcast listeners, and the code is PODCAST21, PODCAST21, and that will get you $10 off the course Helping Others Grow. If you're interested, go to gospelforlife.com, and you can find out more information there. Okay, that's it. Let's get started. Welcome to the Gospel for Life podcast. We help churches make disciples. And now, here's your host, Daryl Dash. We are not our bodies. They're just containers. What really matters is what's inside. I hear words like that all the time. I heard them on the radio recently. And I read them in books and articles, the whole idea that our body is really incidental and that our souls or what is inside our spirits really matter. I guess what's surprising to me is that I hear this from Christians too sometimes. Recently, I heard a pastor talk about the fact that he heard on the radio that really the body is unimportant and, and the spirit is all that matters. And he said, isn't it good that we share that understanding? It really seems that as Christians, we are struggling to understand what the Bible teaches about the body and its importance, not just now, but for eternity. If any of you know me a little bit, you know that my wife is passionate about the centrality of the body, the importance of the body being a neglected truth. And uh, she threatened, as I wrote the, the couple of books that I've written, she threatened that if I didn't think parts about the body and the importance of the body and discipleship, that we would have words <laughs> and uh, by her encouragement and I think by her wisdom, I've been able to write a little bit about that, but not as well as my guest today. I'm really grateful for Sam Albury. He is a man, I've appreciated his ministry, his writing, his speaking, his podcasting, and his latest book is What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And it's such an important topic and some Sam has done a great job helping us. Sam is a pastor, an apologist, an author, a speaker, and most recently, a podcaster. So Sam, welcome to the Gospel for Life podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. Sam, why are we so confused about our bodies these days? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's there's probably more than one reason, but I think in the last 15, 20 plus years, there's been a shift just in Western culture about how we, how we think about who we are. And the focus has very much shifted onto I am who I feel myself to be deep down inside. And because we've kind of given that the priority, it means that the body has just become more and more incidental in how we see ourselves and even irrelevant in some cases to how we see ourselves. And and hence the kind of language you were referring to that you can be you know, it, it's who you are inside that counts. And there's truth to that, obviously. The Bible is, is very clear that we, we see beyond the surface when it comes to others. But I, I think it's meant that we've, we've really, we don't believe that the body means anything in the Western world. We don't have a doctrine anymore of, of us having been created by God. We just have come into to being randomly. And the only thing that seems meaningful is, is what we feel deep down. There's a bit of a conflict there, and I sense this in my community. There's such an emphasis on physical fitness and on, you know, and as well on the weekends, I look out and I see everybody is dressed amazingly well and going out. There's this real emphasis on beauty and youth, and yet at the same time, this idea that the body doesn't really matter. So 
how did we get to this point where we seem to be, you know, it is almost like a, a dual view of the body, right? That it really, really matters and that it doesn't matter at all. And it's not, it, it's not even coherent. So yeah, and how do we... I think some of that is a contradiction, and I think some of it might not be. I think part of our focus on physical image really comes down to it. It's how we brand outwardly who we see ourselves to be inwardly. So the body itself doesn't carry any kind of intrinsic clues as to our identity and who we are. It is increasingly, I think, the blank canvas on which we we paint our identity, and therefore the, the body is the medium through which we we advertise our our true sense of identity. So I think that the fact that the body is incidental in, in showing us who we are doesn't mean it's it doesn't matter to us in terms of our appearance mattering to us. So I think we've become interestingly far more self conscious um, because as if as if we've got to be making a visual statement in some way, perhaps in a way we wouldn't have felt as much need to previously. Oh, I don't know what it's like in, makes in a lot of sense. I've, I've noticed here in the UK, you know, 20 years ago, if you went to the men's kind of grooming section of a, of a supermarket, it would be pretty slight. There would be, you know, maybe a couple of brands of cologne or aftershave and a, some deodorant or something. But now it feels like there's a whole aisle. And that's good in lots of ways. I'm, I'm all for men smelling better and uh, not worse. But it, again, it, it speaks to me that we're, we're more physically self-conscious than we used to be, men and women alike. And I think, again, I think it's bound up with this this shifting idea of, of who we are and how we now ha- we now have to physically present who we are in a way we didn't need to before. And something has changed, and you hit on this. It used to be that women would feel this pressure to have a certain kind of body image, and I think they still do. And now I think it's it. Maybe men felt that before, but I think it's really accelerated. And I, you hear of, of men with body image issues. So what's happened? That is it is it changed for men, or is it is it always been hard? I, I know we all carry a sense of shame around our bodies, but what's changed there? Yeah, I think it has certainly accelerated, and all the all the stats seem to suggest that there's a very strong increase in this amongst men. And I I found that myself. I, I was started working on this book five or six years ago and as it would come up in conversation i lost count a very very long time ago of how many men have started opening up to me about how they feel about their bodies people i wouldn't necessarily have expected it from so that that sense of self-consciousness of unease of am i am i what i'm supposed to be as a, as a man th- that is profound and widespread and and is certainly growing and increasing and i'm sure part of it is that the the standards of what male beauty is meant to look like have just sort of gotten higher and higher over over the years as we've I, I guess with social media with with technology we're, we're being presented with a vision of male beauty and attractiveness that is increasingly unattainable even for the people whose images we're seeing so you look at you look at the kind of billboard poster for the latest superhero movie, and you know, for the, for the actor to get into that shape was a full time job for many months before the movie, and would not be sustainable for the rest of his life. And yet, we present presented that as if that's what a guy is meant to look like. So, I, I think the the idea of what beauty is has has become more and more unrealistic, and as a consequence, 
I think we've all got uglier. I think that's been a sort of net, the net effect is we all we all feel uglier now than we used to. Yeah, I don't think my father would have touched a beauty project uh, product in his life, <laughs> and uh, he would have been horrified at at some of what guys do. He maybe would use Brill Cream or something like that, yeah. but that's about it. But I mean, now the norm is that that guys get beauty treatments, so something significant has changed. Yeah. Yeah. So Sam, it, it's interesting to see the change in culture, but there's also a corresponding, a corresponding problem within the church about what the Bible teaches about our bodies. I'm surprised, oh, even in your book, you mentioned that Christians are often surprised to hear that their bodies will be resurrected. And I just find even at funerals, I, I've heard rank heresy being taught about our mm-hmm. bodies, you know, that, that this person has already been resurrected. And their body's still there, right? There's just a misunderstanding about our body. So it's one thing for unbelievers not to understand what the Bible teaches about the body. How did we miss something that's so clearly taught in Scripture? Yeah, there'd be others better placed than me to to sort of explain how that happened. But I, I think it's a combination of things. I think partly it's our understanding of the age to come has been increasingly dominated by, you know, you think of, renaissance art and you know clouds and harps and angels floating around and we sort of we've got it into our collective mindset that that's that's the age to come so there's there's been a kind of a a doctrinal um something's being misfiled doctrinally we're taking images of heaven and we're treating them as if that is what our eternal destiny is in the age to come and we've missed actually the physicality of the age to come as the new testament presents it and bound up with that, I think, has been a, a kind of a, this sort of Epicurean idea that we've the world is bad, we've got to get out of it, and we've got to be released into a better place. And the, the direction of travel that the New Testament seems to give us is of heaven coming down to earth rather than us going up to heaven. Obviously, if we die in Christ before the end comes, we will go to be with him spiritually. But what we await at the end of Revelation is is the heavenly city coming down to earth. and us being here with our with our feet on the ground in a new creation in resurrected bodies. So some of that has, has been missed or twisted, and it's sort of become part of the, the, the standard Christian thinking that that our, our long-term destination is something called heaven and that it will be non-physical. Yeah, and it's amazing news to actually get the biblical teaching, which is very body-affirming. Mm. You know the the whole idea that we'll eat in heaven and that we'll have bodies in heaven. So yeah, it's much better news than floating on a, a cloud somewhere. Which does not sound fun. I think there was a Far Side cartoon once of a, of a guy sitting on a cloud, and he's just saying he just says, "I wish I brought something to read," because it, it's you know <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't appeal. That doesn't feel like you know that doesn't feel like. It's the kind of thing that is going to outweigh our present trials in this in this age. Whereas Paul seems to think the glory to come is going to make what we go through now feel so trivial by comparison. Yeah, yeah. I I love the part of your book where you talk about kind of the idea of the bucket list and how you have to get all this stuff done before you die, and just this feeling of you know we'll have eternity to enjoy all of God's blessings, so hmm. we don't have to cram everything into this life. Actually, if you read the Apostle Paul. You don't get the sense that he's trying to cram all this stuff in his life, except for pleasing God with the limited time that he has to, you know, to win the lost, right? So, exactly. but certainly not to visit all these great locations. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it takes yeah. it takes the pressure off. It's actually quite liberating. I, I used to, yeah. and still feel find I still do find myself kind of getting that slight pinch of, am I wasting my life? Am I missing out? And I I probably am in terms of some of in terms of many worldly pleasures that I'm, I'm missing out on, but I'm not actually missing out on them because. I'll have the sanctified version of them in the in the age to come anyway. I can actually give myself to the service of others if I really do believe in in what the Bible says about my res- resurrection. Same one thing I appreciate in the book is you talk about how we all struggle with our bodies. Since Genesis 3, we all feel a sense of shame. We're getting older as well, and life is brief. And to add to that, you have the reality that so many people have been mistreated by others. In the book, you talk about words that have been said to people about their bodies, or even worse, people have suffered at the hands of other people, and, and that leaves very real damage. What good news is there for really everybody who struggles with their body? Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of the good news is no one is alone in this. That itself is is a comfort, and so often our experiences of shame because of how we look or how we've been treated or things that have been said to us that that feeling of shame can often feel as though it's it's very isolating and it's unique to me and i'm the only one so it is a huge comfort to know that that the vast majority of the of the rest of the human race is is facing some version of what all of us are facing but more than that you know that the bible speaks to these things it names them it accounts for them so it it's not completely random it's not a sign that that my life has especially gone off the rails that I feel these ways. It's it's actually, it's par for the course when it comes to living in a fallen world. And Christ has come to suffer with us. So he went through himself, the extremes of, of bodily affliction, um, both in terms of the, the, the physical agonies he suffered for us, but also the shame he bore for us. And I've been very struck recently thinking about, you know, men, men couldn't bear to look at him we're told in in the prophecy in isaiah and so the various things that we experience jesus is not unfamiliar with um as, as hebrew says he's not unable to sympathize he gets it um he's he's been here he's done it but more than suffering with us obviously is is the the wonderful truth that he suffered for us and in his body we're told in his physical body he has brought us salvation he has borne our our sins in his flesh and so his body went through ultimate brokenness, ultimate shame, ultimate affliction, so that we would one day have the hope that we have of redeemed bodies and that the perfect life in the age to come. You know, you you really talk about some very difficult issues in the book and sensitive issues. I think one part of the book, you, you're talking to a friend who's struggling with gender dysphoria, and you talk about having to have a very truthful conversation with him. And yet at the same time, there's just a kindness that permeates your tone. And and you say that Christians should be the most compassionate people on the planet. You're speaking, I mean, even now there might be people listening who are struggling and it's it's a very raw topic. I, I was talking to somebody the other day and just bringing up the subject of gender, I could tell that I had touched a nerve and there there was a lot of hurt and even trauma there. How can we learn to speak in in a way that's compassionate, truthful, and yet compassionate to people, knowing that it's not just a, a theoretical, a theological issue, but it's a very personal issue, this cluster of issues around the body? 
Yeah, I, I think one one significant thing is that we learn to listen well. And I think sometimes our lack of sensitivity is often a function of we just don't understand what other people are going through. And the more we, we listen to someone and get a sense of what, what life is like for them, hopefully that can build in us a sense of compassion and understanding. We can have some measure of sympathy for them. Even if their experience is very different to ours, I've never experienced gender dysphoria myself. So I'm not going to claim to know what it feels like, but I, I do want to do all that I can to understand someone else's pain. And, and ultimately, even if it's not the particular kind of pain I've experienced, I, I do feel a sense of solidarity because here I am, another broken human being. Ultimately, we are in the same boat. So I think listening well, having a sense of our own shared fallenness can help. It, may, it stops us being aloof. It stops us being superior or con condemning or judgmental. Um, hopefully it, it humbles us to, to be mindful of our own kind of failings and limitations as well. And just, just to, to continue to absorb what the Bible says on these things, that the, the message of, of the gospel should make us more compassionate. We, we realize that apart from Christ, people really are helpless and therefore scolding them and having a go at them is not going to, is not going to achieve anything. And that wasn't how we came to the Lord either. And yet he, he just loved us. So trying to have that, that, that same tender heart of Christ himself, as we see his tenderness to us, it begins to make us tender towards others. Yeah. And at the very point of our most ugliness, fallenness, shamefulness, he didn't withdraw from us. He, he actually moved in love towards us. And I mean, I need to, I need to hear that every day of the week. And I hope as I do so, it will make me one who moves towards people in their pain, not away from them. Your podcast with Ray Ortland has been such a, a lesson in civility and, and gentleness. And I think even as a pastor listening to it, I'm often surprised at how I'm just ready to eat up the encouragement that you offer. And man, this world needs more tenderness and gentleness, along with a commitment to truth, but they're not mutually exclusive. And sadly, sometimes I think we've said if we're people of the truth, that we need to be harsh. And that's just yeah. not true. It, it really does lead to gentleness. It doesn't. And you know, John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so in Jesus, those things go together. If we ever think we have one without the other, we have neither. So if, if my truth is always harsh and unfeeling, it's not actually biblical truth, because biblical truth is gracious. Yeah. Just as biblical grace is truth-telling and honest. So I think we sometimes think we're allowed one or the other, and we're meant to always embody both, because Christ himself does. Yeah, absolutely. So where I live, sexuality is not just a topic, but the topic. And uh, it, as a church, it seems like every time you touch on issues of uh, sexuality or gender, you're you're really stepping on landmines. And not only that, but people come into the church and one of their first questions is, isn't really about Jesus or the resurrection, but it's it's about mm -hmm. issues of sexuality usually. What business do you have to tell me what I do with my body? And I know this book isn't really a book just about sexuality. You've written other books about that. But how does understanding our body from a Christian worldview help us to make sense of our, of our gender and, and our sexuality? 
Yeah, it helps us enormously. And again, as you say, these are very, very tender topics for, for so many people and for so many reasons. We don't have to be wrestling with gender dysphoria to find the, the topic of, of gender itself painful. Many of us will have a, a sort of complicated understanding of what does it mean to be a man or a woman, and there'll be pain involved with that, which is why we, we can be so thankful for for the teaching of scripture. There's just, there are there are way finders for us along the way that, that can, can give us guidance. So I think most fundamentally we, we see in scripture that, that maleness and femaleness is, is part of our physicality. It's not simply part of our psychology, it's part of our biology. And that's a very countercultural thing to affirm in today's kind of world, but it's actually a, a grounding and assuring fixed point for us to have as as Christian believers. It means I, I can receive my my biological sex as a gift from God. And sometimes that for some people that will be a very, very long process to get to the point where they can do that. And to see as well that the, the Bible I think gives us a far more liberating way of thinking about what it is like to be a man or to be a woman than, than our culture often does. Um, our culture often narrows these things down into quite arbitrary stereotypes. I think the Bible gives us a much broader range of what it can look like than than our culture does. So there's a lot there to to help us. There's a lot there that, that is obviously going to be confronting as well, because none of us steward our physicality, and that includes our gender in the way that we're we're supposed to. So I think it's and the other thing I've I've been struck by is actually, and it's an obvious point, but I I'm good at missing the obvious things. And that is that the vast majority of what the Bible says, it, it says to us as men and women without distinction. And so as significant as our differences are as men and women, they're not, we, we, we shouldn't overstate them. We're not different species. And I think that that can be a reassuring word to, to many people today. You talk in the book about the importance of the body in discipleship. What do you mean by that? Well, it struck me again as I was studying all of this to to realize how much of our discipleship in the new testament is spoken of in bodily terms um that there's stuff there about your your posture when you pray just just take something as seemingly innocuous as as eating and you know there's a lot the bible says about when to eat when not to eat with what kind of attitude to eat to eat with who not to eat with and these things apparently are spiritually significant um Paul talks in Romans 12 about offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice. In Romans 6, he's a little more detailed and, and talks about offering the, the members of our body as, as instruments of righteousness. So we live out our discipleship in a, in a physical world, and we can't avoid the physicality of it. And the idea that my physicality is spiritually irrelevant is, is so far from what the Bible says. It, it actually matters. I, I can right now glorify god with my body it doesn't have to look like the kind of body you see on the front cover of a fitness magazine for me to glorify god with it but, but i can because our bodies matter to him yeah what advice would you give to pastors about how to teach about the body well, i would advise them too on on the body i think it's a it's a much neglected area of, of christian thinking and we didn't need to do this as much in the past but i think we have neglected for us 
each one of these things uh, might be kind of thinking about the parts of the scriptures that we can do this. I think First Corinthians is, is the one book of the Bible at most. So that might be a place to begin. Sam, I've got so many questions I could ask you. I'm, I I just want to ask you two more personal, more personal questions, if that's okay. As we wrap up the interview, what are you learning? It could be a book. It could be just something you're thinking about. Yeah, that's uh, that's always a, a great question to ask. I I am learning right now. I think I'm learning more and more about what it means for Jesus to be the bridegroom. It's something I've, I've thought about and thought about and even written about in the past, but I feel like I'm learning it again for the first time. I've some some heartache recently of, of seeing some very dear Christian friends get into the kinds of relationships that Bible teaches us not to get into, and there's been a there's been a, a steady stream of friends who've done that over the past year, and that that's caused me a lot of heartache. But I've realised I I really need to reread the Song of Songs. And just revel in the fact that because, you know, the, the message of some of those friends, whether they're saying it consciously or not, is this is where real life is found, Sam. You need the romantic fulfillment. You need these relationships. And actually, Song of Songs is showing me I am being pursued. I am being desired by the lover of my soul. And he is inviting me into a, an intimacy and a richness and a depth I won't find anywhere else. So. To be completely honest, I'm right now reading the Song of Songs as if my life depends on it, because I think it does, and I, I don't think I'm going to make it otherwise. So I'm drinking that in very deeply at the moment, and uh, really grateful for that part of Scripture. That's a part of Scripture that scares us sometimes. It's so powerful, right? More the fool us. I mean, I think this is the book for our culture right now, as, yeah. as we go completely crazy about sex and romance this is the this is the part of scripture to go to i was preaching on sunday and talking about the whole image of us being the bride of christ and i don't know about you when you perform weddings i love to look at the groom and to see his face when the bride walks in and to think about jesus love for us be that be being a small mirror of jesus love for us that blows me away so that's incredible yeah yeah i love that I'm, i'm the same whenever i take a wedding it's as everyone else is looking at the bride, I just I just look at the broom, the groom, and yeah, that that the look on his face at that moment. It's amazing how someone you, you know, it's not like he he hasn't seen the bride before. It's not like he doesn't know her very well, and yet still that that kind of moment of wow is very moving. Yeah, absolutely. And what are you, what's encouraging you lately? These are tough times. I think everybody's struggling a little bit with being discouraged, and it's just not easy. So what's encouraging you these days? Well, Song of Songs is encouraging me too, I should add. Yeah, these Christian friendships encourage me. You know, Ray and I started that podcast in part because the world is getting angrier and lonelier and less joyful, and we, we've got to fight to keep our joy. I mean, that's a, that's a discipline. Being around someone like Ray makes it easier to rejoice in Christ. And we, we, we need to, I think, being British, we're, we're always a little bit reserved and stupid in that kind of way. But the New Testament tells me I need encouragement. And the New Testament tells me my Christian brothers and sisters need encouragement. And I think we just need to get over whatever cultural things we need to get over and really lean into that and say, I'm, I'm not going to wait until someone says 
they, they need a bit of help. I'm just going to already assume every every Christian I meet needs some encouragement today. And goodness knows I do. So the more we can practice that with one another, I think we'll all have our spirits lifted a bit. Absolutely. Sam, where can people find more about you and your minutes? Yeah, I never quite know how to answer that, but I'm, I'm on things like Twitter. I, I do have a website. I just never, I just haven't updated it for about three years. So you can find out what I was up to three years ago by, li- by looking at that. But probably social media is the best thing. Sam, I, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your ministry. Every book that you've, that you've written has been immensely helpful. They're uniformly just so helpful. And I, I want to thank you for your ministry, not just the, with writing, but I've heard you speak in person a number of times. And uh, certainly your podcast with Ray has been a huge blessing. So thank you for your ministry and thank you for being with us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me and, and thank you for that encouragement.